and the part that's tilted away from the sun gets shortchanged, and that right now is us. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryans, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, it's the solstice. As yeah. we are, we're getting up to the solstice as we record this, and as we produce this podcast, it's really solstice time. This is the this is the the shortest days of the year here. And you have a lot of entries in your Common Era site that reveal a certain interest in uh, astronomy, I think. Yes, um, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. But I'd like to make a slight correction. This solstice is not the shortest day of the year in the Southern Hemisphere. Oh, oh, yes. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> so we often <laughs> we often speak about uh, the solstices as if it were just a given that we're all in the Northern Hemisphere, but people in Australia are in midsummer right now. Right, and that's so easy for anybody who hasn't traveled through the Southern Hemisphere to neglect. I think a lot of people forget being shown in fourth grade uh, how the tilted Earth, Earth tilted on its axis as it revolves around the sun, exposes different parts of itself for longer time than others. And the part that's tilted away from the sun gets shortchanged. And that right now is us. Us in the northern hemisphere. Right. Which we tend to think of as the top, but in astronomical terms, that's nonsensical. There's no top or bottom to a globe. And the Australians have no problem thinking of themselves as standing on top of the earth. No, no, that's right. Um, it's it's all about perception. But, of course, we also have a geological bias where land masses have tended to form more – they have occupied more space in the northern hemisphere than the southern. So, Right, and, 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 and Antarctica doesn't help the south very much because there's very few people living there. Right, we have a larger, much larger human population in the north than in the, in the southern hemisphere. Right. So, but this is the solstice. Now, that means that the days are either very, very long days of sunlight in the Southern Hemisphere or very, very short days of sunlight in the Northern Hemisphere, as opposed to the equinox, right. which is the other shift in seasons. Now, the solstice, of course, is the beginning of either winter or summer, depending on which hemisphere you're in and what time of year it is. And that's falling generally on... June 21st and December 21st, although this year, uh, just by dint of the the calendar and so on, it's the 22nd is the, right. the solstice this year. I don't think people used to, um, in over the last few decades, have spent too much, paid too much attention to the solstices and the equinoxes, but this uh, revival of interest in pagan celebrations, especially coming out of feminism, Mm. Um, but also new agey type things and back to the earth. Um, there's been a lot more of it. So you see quite a few celebrations of those. In fact, my wife is scheduled to a, 
a party that's having all women celebrating the solstice um, this coming week. And this is an annual affair, and it's a, a big deal. Well, now the solstice is the... We talked last week on our podcast about the Magi and the celebration of Christmas. And uh, like you just said, the solstice is that time, the same time of year, of course, and these celebrations go back, uh, you know, precede, precede any Christmas celebrations or any Christian religion uh, by quite a bit. Well, yes, and the most significant one, of course, for our history is the Roman celebration of the Feast of the Unconquered Sun. Um, they they had slightly different dates for it, but it overlapped with what we now call Christmas. And there's pretty good evidence that the early church, um, which had not really had uh, a date for Jesus' birth, there's nothing in the Bible that says what time of year it was. Shepherds are in their fields, but in the Middle East, that could be almost any time. Um, so uh, what happens is that there's a whole lot of celebrations that are associated either in Roman culture or later as Christianity spreads into Northern Europe. Um, others that have to do with giving gifts. That was very much a part of the Roman tradition. Um, doing decorations, the whole Christmas tree phenomenon to some degree is related to old ideas of evergreen, the idea of the changing of the seasons. Um, lights as a, much a, a part of it and um, dancing as well. A lot of people don't know that carol originally was a verb. To carol was to dance in a circle. Mm, mm -hmm. And uh, they were carols of all kinds of celebration and mostly quite secular. And uh, eventually, especially by the 15th century, you start to see Christmas carols, but they uh, stop being dances and become just songs now that's all news to me but it's not news to me that the the kinds of celebrations the gift giving and the celebration of the re, you know the return of the sun of course i know we're being very northern hemisphere right. centric here but uh the these celebrations go go way back and a lot of the christmas celebrations are adopted from those traditions and you ended last week's podcast talking about the asking us to google the magic of christmas versus the miracle of christmas a very interesting google image search <laughs> which reveals the miracle of christmas as the the birth of the christ and the christmas story coming from the gospels and and the magic of Christmas revealing an image search, showing more of these other kinds of celebrations that you that we're talking about here. Yeah, and there are a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people complain that the, the real meaning of Christmas, the origin of Christmas gets forgotten. Um, that is, they're, they're talking about the Christian interpretation of it. And, of course, the word itself, Christmas, has Christ in it. Mm -hmm. um, but... There's a, a most of the energy, most of the money, certainly, most of the excitement <clears throat> around the world for Christmas has to do with more pagan-related things than not. Um, and so it's just a it happens to be a time when uh, most people can feel really good about the holidays. You always get columns this time of year about you know things to dread and how many people are unhappy around Christmas. Mm -hmm. I heard a discussion with a statistician last year who was saying, you know, this has been studied 
And generally speaking, people are in a better mood around Christmas. Yes, there are some who are unhappy, but not more than any other day. And that mostly um, people feel better. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me is, of course, with the religion, Christianity has spread some places, um, notably growing in Africa. But in other places, it's the secular Christmas that spreads without the religion. So that in Japan, Christmas is now a big deal. And um, they, one of their interesting traditions is the performance of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony on New Year's Eve that ends a big period of holiday celebrations. And I noticed that it's being picked up in this country now. The, the Seattle Symphony also does that now. When, when I was in Thailand many years ago, I took a picture of a a uh, car dealership where there was a hanging in the window a uh, Mickey Mouse with a wreath around him for <laughs> celebrating mm-hmm. there, Christmas. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> perfect, perfect uh, merging of 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 Western iconography. Um, we in in Japan and throughout Asia, of course, the New Year's celebration is is a big one, and of course, there's the the Tet, the uh, the Asian ca- uh, calendar celebration, of the New Year, but now the Chinese the, New Year is not the same at all, though, as uh, the Western New Year. No, but but with the calendar being what it is, the New Year celebration around January first is also quite huge in in Japan and and around Asia. And, and uh, having lived in Japan for a little bit, um, I can say that those those first few days of the New Year are uh, the country is sort of in shutdown mode much like it is around christmas here but for the rest of the rest of acknowledging christmas it's a lot of fun decorations and a nice little thing to tack on just leading up to the new year when i was uh, making the statement about how the earth's rotation um and revolving around the sun um helps to create it I had to stop and think, okay, is it resolve, revolve, mm-hmm. or rotate? And oh, because, oh, yeah, yeah. like almost everybody, I get those mixed up. I Fortunately, I have a handy little book called Common Errors in English Usage, which lays it out to remind me and anybody else that's looking out. The movement of a planet on its axis is its rotation. The movement of the planet as it goes around another body, like the sun or the moon going around us on Earth, is uh, its revolution. So uh, you, it, we revolve around the sun. That's what changes our seasons. We rotate on our axis. That's what causes day and night to happen. And uh, so the two things go together to make these very short days for us. Right. And that's a, there we go. There's, there you are revealing your interest in astronomy and pointing out that there's a, there is a connection between being interested in how things, how things work and using the language and identifying things correctly and making sure that you're using that correctly. Because if somebody, if you're talking to a person who understands the difference and you confuse those two, you're not going to be communicating right. One reason it's easy to, to confuse them is that normally in ordinary speech, both words are treated as interchangeable. Mm-hmm. So we think about revolving credit accounts and rotating crops. There's no particular reason why it shouldn't be rotating credit account and revolving crops, I guess. But 
at any rate, that that you have to learn which goes with which. But um, the top is revolving, the top is rotating, spinning top. Okay, mm-hmm. you can do either one. Sure. So we have the Earth. Uh, the spin of the Earth is the rotation, and, right? And then as it moves around through moves through space around it, the Sun, that is the revolving of of the Earth. Travel in its orbit. Yeah. So where you have to get picky is when you're talking about astronomy, but I also have an entry on astrology versus astronomy. Mm-hmm. Sure. It is one of the things that really makes an uh, an astronomer upset is for somebody to say, oh, I just love astrology. Astronomers 201 just hate astrology. <laughs> astrology is a 5,000-year-old superstition that was developed in ancient Sumer and Mesopotamia and uh, has not changed uh, seriously since that time, even though the stars have shifted in their position since that time due to the precession of the equinoxes. And I'm not going to try to explain that now, but you could look it up. It's amazing to me how many times when I'm just talking with somebody about something astronomical, they'll, they'll just throw in the term astrological as if that was obvious yeah that that's that's the term you use when you talk about the sky and the stars and so on mm. so the idea that uh, you're influenced by the planets being lined up with certain constellations is just so um earth-centered it just has no it, it really doesn't understand the scale of the universe it it displays uh, an indifference to point of view of looking up and say down on the solar system from above and seeing how things are arranged with each other. Um, it just sort of defeats everything that astronomy is trying to accomplish. Now, where astrology gets some credit, of course, is that they were the first astronomers. The astrologers were interested in looking at the heavens. Ultimately, they tend to look more at their charts. Sure, and I was yeah, I was just going to make that point that astrology, going back five thousand years to Sumer, is that's the first draft of of trying to trying to understand what's going on in the sky. But where we fall apart is when we don't advance to uh, new areas beyond that. Yeah. One of the the little tests that I used to give sometimes when I got into a conversation about the skies and the stars and I said okay do you know what your sign is mm. everybody even if they just loathe mm. astrology like me mm-hmm. knows what sign they are and then i say okay do you know what a quasar is um do you know what a black hole is and how it functions mm-hmm. there's all these exciting things that have been discovered in astronomy is just, uh, well, almost literally, but not actually figuratively, <laughs> exploding in our times. And there are new discoveries all the time, and most of the public could not care less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they really want to read their horoscope and get all the details for what they should do today. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's a that's a very egocentric uh, and, and inevitable human reaction, I think, to all of it. Uh, 
sure there are black holes. How does that relate to me? Right. <laughs> kind of thing. Or a quasar. Well, am I going to be using a quasar today? <laughs> Maybe a Cuisinart. <laughs> no. but, right. Uh, a uh, lot. Of, it's very common to say that it's human nature to want to explore and discover new things. And then you'll hear other people saying it's human nature to um, want to cling to what you already know and to uh, find things that put you in the center. And uh, I think the problem with that whole formula is it's human nature. I, I don't think there is a lot that we can call human nature. Some people are just naturally curious. I think little kids tend to be. Mm -hmm. I remember taking a walk with my toddler daughter that went a half a block took a half hour because she wanted to bend down and examine every ant and blade of grass and mm -hmm. whatever that there was mm -hmm. in the path. Mm -hmm. um, but as we grow older, we become more and more secure in wanting to build sort of a fortress of ideas and beliefs around ourselves that we find comforting and familiar. And people have evolved to be very social. I mean, modern evolutionary theory says that the way we triumphed over other hominids was not by becoming more fierce, but by becoming more social. And mm -hmm. we were able to cooperate, to form families that lasted, that could raise children over a long period, and so on. So I think there's both of those things are going on, and uh, it's too simple to say, man is an explorer. <laughs> or man is a man is a solipsistic entirely. It, it, there's not one or the other that's that's driving humanity, obviously. there's There's looking inward and there's looking outward. Right, like the way you switch from man to humanity there. I was being deliberately old-fashioned. Okay, all right. Now, we were talking about uh, revolving, and I thought I'd throw this one in. Mm -hmm. Also, this is an expression. Now, we, there are some things that just triumph in popular culture so fast that it's almost futile to argue against them. Um, and the, there's two different postures you can take. On that. We're going to talk about this in another podcast soon, but... Um, the one I'm, I'm thinking about is center around. Yes. I, my concerns about this project center around the expenses and the amount of cooperation we'll get from the other parties, uh, typical business jargon, or um, our ad campaign will center around uh, the bright colors of the toys that we're making. That has always bothered me. It seems to me that it's either center on mm -hmm. or revolve around. Your attention centers on something. You're focusing in on it. You're not budging. You're zooming in. Uh, so you're not moving in relationship to it. You're getting closer to it. You're fixing on it. Revolving around is something that, well, there's a number of different things that I'm thinking about. And um, it's not just one thing. But the expression center around sort of blends those two together. Now, I was pretty harsh about it when I wrote it up in Common Errors. Here's what I wrote. Two perfectly good expressions, center on and revolve around, get conflated in this nonsensical neologism. When a speaker said his address will center around the topic of whatever my interest level plummets. Um, that's one of the cases where I just let myself get annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> but, but most people aren't annoyed, and I know that. And it's uh, it's become pretty standard usage. But those other two phrases still exist, and there's no good reason why once you recognize that you couldn't 
use something a little more precise. Well, the problem comes with thinking about how it works visually, mm-hmm. I guess. It's almost a psycholinguistics problem where the concept can be set in your head. Things revolve around other things and can things be centered on is just the idiom that we say we're focused on a specific topic. But when you do that and mix them up, that the visual of centering around doesn't work at all. Yeah, well, how, how does the revolved. center, the center's not moving. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, and that's where the trouble comes in. And And I'm with you. I have a hard time just uh, not at least brushing up against that one when I hear it, but I also, I can't completely identify it as, you know, I can't, I can't generalize from that, that the person who's saying it doesn't know any, therefore know anything else about what they're talking about because it's so widespread. Oh, I want to make a segue here from um, this, this kind of saying to another kind of saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my entry on epigram, epigraph, epitaph, and epithet. Okay. And you'll yeah. see where I'm going with this shortly. All right. An epigram with an M is a pithy saying, usually humorous. Mark Twain was responsible for many striking, mostly cynical epigrams, such as always do right. That will gratify some of the people and astonish the rest. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was also responsible for an even more famous one that has been confusing people ever since. Everyone is a moon and has a dark side, which he never shows to anybody. It's true that the moon keeps one side away from the earth, but if you don't count the faint glow reflected from the earth, it is not any darker than the side that faces us. In fact, over time, the side facing us is darkened slightly more often because it is occasionally eclipsed by the shadow of the earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I think this concept of the far side of the moon and the dark side of the moon has gotten confused forever, but I think Pink Floyd kind of put the nail in the coffin of mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the, the knowledge of mm-hmm. what it's all about, their dark side of the moon recording, mm-hmm. and... Um, which I have in a super SACD format, by the way. That sounds great on my surround system. I'll remember that. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many people who uh, have this these two notions together in their mind about the moon that if you challenge them on it, they, they really have trouble wrapping their minds around it. I say, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so there's the other side. We never see it. Um, so darkness. Darkness has to do with not seeing things. And I said, well, what about when there's a, a new moon and there's just a little tiny bit of light? Where do you think the rest of the light is? It's over on the other side. That side you're thinking of is dark. I love Mark Twain, and he certainly had a dark side. Uh, and he, I hope he was just joking. Sure. And I think that the, I, I think, I think conceptually, the way people make it work is think about the dark side as the other side of the moon. In other, and that's, um, Speaking metaphorically for something just completely unknown or un, unviewable, or that's on that's the Pink Floyd lyric. I'll see you on the dark side of the moon. I'll see you someplace that we can't imagine right now. Okay, and then I wanted to, uh, since we're talking about the moon and the Earth, uh, I was going to talk about capitalizing planets and satellites. Sure, and I want to talk about capitalizing seasons also. So let's have a little co- uh, capitalization conversation. So 
soil or dirt is lowercase e-a-r-t-h and in most uses even the planet itself remains humbly in lowercase letters like peace on earth But in astronomical context, the Earth, E, capital E, A-R-T-H, comes into its own with a proud initial capital. And in science fiction, it drops the introductory article and becomes Earth. Uh, We're leaving Earth, not the Earth, but Earth, just like Mars and Venus. A similar pattern applies to the Earth's satellite. A beautiful harvest moon, so it's got a particle and lowercase m moon, Mm -hmm. but the craters of the capital M moon. Because other planets also have moons, lowercase, the moon with an uppercase retains its article, unlike Earth. Because we have to talk about the moon, Mm -hmm. because the one with a capital is only one of them, but there are lots of lowercase moons. I, I don't know if there's a strong inclination to capitalize Earth as broadly as what I'm about to say about seasons, but there can be an urge that you have to fight to capitalize words like earth and moon when they are not, and when they are not referring specifically to the bodies in space. Right. Um, now, uh, since we're talking about the, uh, we're talking about the solstice, right? <laughs> we're talking about a, right. ch- a change of season. So this is, in the northern hemisphere here, this is the beginning. Hey, why don't you give me your take on capitalizing seasons? Sure, yeah, I will. Something that you do see a lot of is pretty common misconception that, that seasons will be capitalized all in almost every instance. But it's actually pretty much the opposite, where it's the seasons are not capitalized. There are certain instances where you can um, personify the seasons. The 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 heavy hand of winter is upon us, uh-huh. or where you where you bring the you sort of anthropomorphize the seasons as as having their own uh, body and spirit. So, and in that sense, you can uh, use a capital letter. But uh, by and large. Um, uh, I went camping over the summer. There's no, there's no capitalization of the word summer. Right. Uh, now you'll also see in, uh, especially in academic uh, catalogs and calendars, possibly to avoid some confusion or to call attention to some particular thing. You know that this class is being taught in the fall, and it will be capitalized for a specific purpose to draw attention to the fact that, or to draw attention to the word fall in the middle of. Uh, some, something so students perusing a catalog will be able to to identify what quarters or terms their their classes that they need are are arranged in. But that that would be that would be be a stylistic thing up to an individual. Broadly speaking, we don't capitalize them. Yeah, this will happen uh, at the beginning of fall semester. For instance, yes. uh-huh. you probably see it capitalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both fall and semester. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but if, by and large, we're we're just going to stick with lowercase on those. Now, did you have a different take on that? No, uh-huh. um, but I did want to get back to satellites because the moon is a satellite. Moon is a very unusual satellite in that it is much larger in relationship to the planet it orbits than any of the other satellites that are in the main part of the solar system, and it's generally thought to be have been a captured. Uh, planetoid that wound up orbiting around us 
and it has some very profound effects on us. For one thing, it its gravitational pull helps to keep the Earth warm because the the way there are not only tides of the water and Earth, but the molten iron core of the Earth is also affected by that, and and so. That's one of the reasons that we get some heat radiating from inside the Earth. helps keep us alive. It's only one source. Mm -hmm. But um, originally, uh, a satellite was a follower. So if you were a big, important guy and you had some people that followed you around and did whatever you told them to, then you were their satellite. Astronomers applied the term to smaller bodies orbiting about planets like our moon. Then we began launching artificial satellites. Since few people were familiar with the term in its technical meaning, the adjective artificial was quickly dropped in popular usage. Mm -hmm. So far, so bad. Mm -hmm. Then television began to be broadcast via satellite. Much, if not all, television now wends its way through a satellite at some point. But in the popular imagination, only broadcast received at the viewing site via a dish antenna aimed at a satellite qualified to be called satellite television. Thus, we see motel signs boasting, in all caps, air conditioning, satellite. People say things like, the fight's going to be shown on satellite. The word has become a pathetic fragment of its former self. The technologically literate speaker will avoid these slovenly abbreviations. I'm sounding pretty grumpy in that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, satellite dish is not the same thing as the satellite. No. Again, you're exposing in the in your composition of this entry your affinity for astronomy and science over how the terms get more broadly applied. Yeah, it's easy to, to see the, the word satellite used to apply to basically watching television and be a little disappointed it gets um it gets even further removed from this astronomical sense of the word partly because the satellites that people depend on the most are geosynchronous satellites ones that uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. revolve around the earth at the same rate that the earth rotates Mm -hmm. they're moving for sure but people tend to think of them as stationary. Therefore, the whole concept of a satellite being a revolving body is a little vague, I think, in a lot of people's minds. It's that thing up there I can point to. Where is it? Oh, yeah, it's just a few degrees above the horizon. That's where the satellite is. Well, is that it? Have we wrapped up our conversation about all of these uh, terms to do with the stars and movements of the planets as they appear in the Common Errors and English Usage website and book? Paul, the winter season is here, so uh, have a have a great holiday. And uh, it means this means, of course, Christmas. It means New Year's, but also means the winter solstice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to spring. My garden's <laughs> looking pretty ragged at the moment. Sure. Well, we'll talk to you next time. Right. So long, Tom. That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.